Amen. So we've been, uh, we've been going through Proverbs um, in this chapter that we see here. Um, Pastor Deuce and Pastor Mace have already alluded to this idea of wisdom being uh, personified. Uh, it's as though uh, wisdom is calling aloud, is crying out in the streets. Um, and as I thought about that idea of wisdom crying out and and crying aloud and making a proclamation. One of the things that I thought about is that, you know, whenever we come under the hearing of the word of God, that's exactly what's happening. Um, The last few weeks as we've gone through this series, wisdom has been crying out concerning how we use our tongue. Wisdom has been crying out concerning whether or not we're going to be diligent or whether or not we're going to be Uh, slothful or lazy. Uh, Wisdom has been crying out in terms of whether or not we're going to associate with the community of the wise or the community of the fool. And it's not only in Proverbs that wisdom has been crying out, but wisdom was crying out throughout the book of John as we looked at Jesus unplugged, as we looked at the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have the privilege of Every time we come and sit underneath the teaching of the word of God, we have the opportunity to grow in wisdom. Um, I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. Anybody want to be wise? Uh, We see the consequences of the fool over and over again throughout Proverbs. Um, And so uh, as we get into this idea of pride, um, uh, let's just be praying. Let's be praying that the Lord would, um, would give us his wisdom. Um, concerning pride. Um, I I titled this message, The Great Sin, uh, and as I said, it's based on the chapter from uh, Mere Christianity by uh, C.S. Lewis, classic book. If you don't have it, get it. Um, Banging, banging book. Um, But the reason why he refers to pride as the great sin is because pride is the foundation for so many other sins. In the, uh, in the so-called seven deadly sins, pride is listed first. Now, the first thing that we need to see is that right, when we look in the scriptures and we look through Proverbs and what the scriptures have to say about pride, the first thing that we want to do is we want to see ourselves in the mix. Uh, this is not the week. It's, it's really never the week to do this, but this is definitely not the week to say, as I'm speaking, oh, he's talking about so-and-so. I, I know exactly who he's talking about, and it ain't me. No, th- this is for you. <laughs> this, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you this morning. If you're not a Christian this morning, there's a lot of reasons for it, but at the root is pride. If you are a Christian, but you're in an unresolved conflict, When you really get to the bottom of it, pride. If you're lacking contentment with where you are in life, it's because of pride. If you have a problem with anger, anybody have a problem with anger, short temper, short fuse, it's pride. If you have low self-esteem, and that low self-esteem causes you to act out in sinful ways, Even your low self-esteem, at the root of it, it's pride. If you're bitter towards someone this morning, 
It's because of pride. If you can't get along with your spouse this morning, at the root of it is pride. If you're caught up in secret sin and nobody knows about it, it's because of pride. And so what I want us to see is that this issue of pride is a universal thing. It's an all-inclusive thing. It includes all of us. Now, uh, the way I've, I've structured it, if you, if you turn to Romans chapter 3, um, I'm going to read verses 9 through 18, and then I'm going to draw a connection between our text from Proverbs chapter 8. Romans chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 9 to 18. Starting at verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. And look at how the Apostle Paul sums it up in verse 18. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And so as the Apostle Paul goes through the various ways that sin manifests itself, whether it be through violence, whether it be through uh, speech, whether it be through sinful actions towards other people, when he gets to the end of it, when he sums it up as, as to the reason why this is the case, the reason why the whole world is acting this way, the reason he gives is there's no fear of God before their eyes, a lack of the fear of God. And this is something that we've talked about uh, from the beginning. Pastor Mace, uh, in particular, I remember speaking about this issue of the fear of the Lord. Uh, I want to give a brief definition of the fear of the Lord, and then um, as we go through, we'll, we'll, we'll unpack that more. I get this from Tim Keller. He says, the fear of the Lord in Scripture is standing in awe before the reality of God. Standing in awe before the reality of God. Now, if you take that definition and you put it in with what uh, the Apostle Paul has said here, he basically says that all of the sin issues in this world result or spring forth from a failure to stand in awe before the reality of God. And so that brings us back to our text of Proverbs 8.13. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I find it very interesting that when the fear of the Lord is mentioned, 
the very, the very first thing that comes up is this issue of pride. He, he could have said, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, lust, and arrogance. He could have said, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil, greed. He could have said, murder. He could have said, bitterness, strife, anger. That's not what he says. He says, the very first thing is pride. And I believe that's because the essence of pride is a failure to stand in awe before the reality of God. Now, in the Proverbs and throughout the scriptures, God has a response to pride. I'm going to spend some time talking about God's response to pride from Proverbs. Uh, One response is judgment. And then the second response is how God has rigged the world, how God has set the world up. Uh, First, we'll talk about judgment. Uh, Before I get to this uh, Proverbs 16, if you look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 and 17, uh, it says, There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. And the very first thing that he mentions is haughty eyes. That is condescending eyes, eyes of people who would stare down their noses and frown upon somebody who's, who they think is lesser than them. That's the first thing that he mentions, abomination. That's usually reserved for the, the Christians who are wilding out at gay rights parades, saying homosexuality is, is an abomination, which it is in the scriptures. But here, the very first thing that he mentions is pride. How many of us see pride as an abomination before the holy God? Proverbs chapter 16, verse 5. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. I don't know if he can get any more clear (laughs) with how God feels about pride. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 11. It says, I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will put an end to the pomp of the arrogant and lay low the pompous pride of the ruthless. Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. So we see from these texts that pride, if you, if you want the quickest route to the judgment and fierce wrath and anger and condemnation of God, it's pride. That's how he responds to pride. So in in these judgments uh, being spoken of in Isaiah and Malachi, they had temporal significance for the, the audience at the time who was listening, but all temporal judgments in Scripture point ahead to the final judgment. That make sense? 
So the first way that God responds to pride is through judgment. Now, the second way that he responds to pride, and we see this in the Proverbs very clearly, is through the way that he's rigged the world. <laughs> God has set the world up, and, and Pastor Deuce did a great job of, um, of illustrating this a few weeks back when, when he talked about how there are just, in the Proverbs, general principles that apply whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, it's just how God has set the world up to work, right? Well, concerning pride, God has, he's basically booby-trapped the world in such a way that if you go through this life in a prideful way, the booby trap is going to get you, and we see it. Proverbs 11:2. when pride comes... There comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. That disgrace speaks of embarrassment, humiliation, shame. God has set the world up in such a way that if you walk around this world prideful, eventually you're going to be embarrassed. Eventually you're going to be disgraced. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is closely related to Proverbs 18:12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, <laughs> but humility comes before honor. Pride, disgrace, shame, embarrassment, haughtiness condescension, destruction. Proverbs 29, verse 23. One's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. So God has set the world up in such a way that um, if you try to go through or navigate in this world in a prideful way, you're setting yourself up to be embarrassed, you're setting yourself up to be humiliated, and ultimately to be destroyed. Now, again, these are general principles that are generally true, you know, so it can be easy to find the exception and say, well, that person is is living very pridefully. I don't don't see them being disgraced or shamed. Well, it will happen eventually in this life, but even if it doesn't, like we have the judgment of God awaiting them after this life. So there's no escape from a prideful lifestyle. Now, the question is, why is it this way? Why is this the case? Why, why has God set things up in such a way that the world is booby-trapped and that those who walk in pride will find disgrace? Again, it's because I believe the essence of pride is a failure to stand in awe before the reality of God. It's because of what pride is. What pr- and the, the, the Hebrew word for pride is closely related to the word for exalted. I, I, I thought it was actually really interesting, uh, just uh, as we were singing a couple of songs that we sang. I don't, I don't think uh, the praise team knew this, but a, a couple of the song, songs that we sang were about exaltation and God being exalted. Um, One of the things that blew me away as I began to look at this idea of pride is that pride on a human level is speaking about 
exalting oneself, right? And so think about how evil it is to exalt oneself. Remember the song, Lord, I love you. Lord, I praise you. Lord, I lift your name on high. What pride does is pride says, self, I love you. Self, I praise you. Self, I lift my name on high. Very evil. It's wicked. It, it, it disregards God. It squeezes God completely out of the picture. <laughs> it's ironic that in the very center of the word pride itself <laughs> is a big old I. <laughs> like, I, don't, I don't think it could be defined any more perfectly because pride is all about I. It's all about me. It's all about self. It's atheistic in nature. Proverbs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Praise God for PowerPoint. <laughs> Amen. That's what it does. For those who were listening, there was a graphic, and uh, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't explain it. But I is in the center of pride. Listen to this quote by C.S. Lewis. This is, this is banging. This is from Mere Christianity. He says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. If everyone else became equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone... Pride has gone. The essence of pride is competitive in nature. The essence of pride, is, like pride thrives off of making comparisons. It's a very, it's a very uh, horizontal sin. In other words, it, it looks out and it surveys the landscape of humanity and those who are around us. And then what it does is, it takes stock of them, and then it goes and it looks in the mirror and takes stock of us. And then it goes back and then begins to check, well, okay, that is better than what I have, but, but I got definitely more of that than she has. Uh, I could have more of that, but he can't touch me when it comes to this. It thrives off of comparison. Psalms chapter 10, verse 4. This is this idea of it being atheistic in nature, pride, squeezing God out of the picture. 
Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, it says, In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. And so, if you're prayerless <laughs> this morning, it's because of pride. You have, you have an illusion of self-sufficiency. You have an illusion of independence. You think that you're able to make it through this life on your own. Why pray when I can take matters into my own hands? It's atheistic. It's pride. Back to our text, the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil, pride and arrogance, and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. Now, there's many different and, and this, this is why, why I believe pride is the, is the great sin, is because it manifests itself in so many different ways. Uh, it's, it's a sneaky kind of sin. Like some things are just blatant and just out there. You can just call it as it is. But pride is such that it actually disguises itself as different things, sometimes even virtuous things. We'll talk about that in a second. I just want to talk about some of the many manifestations of pride. Well, first category would be natural pride. That is, pride in things that I have, whether it be possessions, uh, whether it be physical characteristics, whether it be uh, intelligence. Um, anything that, again, that we have that we take and then we compare ourselves to others with, like it becomes uh, an opportunity for pride to rear its ugly head. But consider, consider the foolishness of this. <laughs> consider how foolish it is to be prideful about something that you're not even responsible for. You didn't come up with the way that you look. <laughs> God, God did not consult you. <laughs> while you were in your mother's womb, as to what you should look like. God is the one who made you look the way that you look. You didn't give yourself the intelligence level that you have. You were born with that. One of the things that we tried to do in our self-esteem uh, culture is that we've tried to level the playing field in such a way that we say that everybody is exactly the same. And that's not true. <laughs> now, it's true that everyone is the same in terms of our value being created in the image of God. But God is sovereign over how he dispenses his gifts. He's sovereign over how he gives his talents. Some people just have a natural aptitude for math. <laughs> they're just born with it. They, they ha they, they're good with numbers. <laughs> Some people are born... They're just, they're just good with their hands. Now, someone who's not good with their hands, they can, they can maybe work with what they got, but there's only so far that they can go with it. Some people just had, they just, five years old, you can already see they have an aptitude for putting stuff together. They, they just have it. God has given it to them. Some people are born with great athletic ability. They, they just have it. Some people, God chose to make some people tall, some people short. You didn't, you didn't choose your height. 
one of the, the, the adages in basketball is you can't teach height. <laughs> it's one of the reasons why the Sixers drafted this bogus center <laughs> a couple years ago. But that's another story. I'm sorry. <laughs> but the idea is that, look, if you're seven foot five, <laughs> you can't teach that. <laughs> Somebody who's five foot three <laughs> might want to play in the NBA and if they have enough natural skill and they hone it, they can, they can get there. But you can't teach somebody who's five foot two to be seven foot five. <laughs> you, you just can't. And so the point is everything that we have in terms of our gifts, in terms of our talents, just the natural stuff that we were born with is stuff that God gave us. So how are we going to look down on somebody else when what we have, we got it from somebody? <laughs> it, it reminds me of, <laughs> I'm, I'm signed up with this car rental agency in Philadelphia that's just banging. <laughs> and what's good about it is that you're able to rent cars cheaper than you would get them normally. But the thing about these cars is that like, you know you're in one of those cars because they have a big old stamp on the side of the door <laughs> with, with the name of the company <laughs> of the car. So as you're driving down the street, people know it don't belong to you. <laughs> so it would, how foolish would it be for me in my rental car to pull up to a light, blast in my system, roll down the window... Look out the window at somebody who's driving something that may not be as dope as mine, but at least they own it. I don't even own my car. <laughs> this is what was being explained in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? How are you going to brag about your earrings? They're going to rot anyway. <laughs> you looking at somebody who looking down on somebody who don't have the same hairstyle or as good of a hairstyle as you? You're going to be in the grave one day. All the stuff that we boast in is, is, is temporal, is perishing. Natural pride is one of the ways that pride manifests itself. Another way it manifests itself is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, that is looking down on others that we don't think they are where we are spiritually. We need to beware of the language. Oh, he's a beast. <laughs> She's a beast. I mean, we understand what we're saying, right? That, man, that, that person, like, behind that, what should be there is that, you know what, God has done an amazing work of grace in that person's life. Not that person is just so special within themselves that they're better than everybody else. Spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, it takes pride in our spiritual disciplines. In other words, it finds a way to broadcast 
what our spiritual lives are like. It finds a way to ease into the conversation how much we prayed or how much we read the word. I always get wary whenever I hear someone say to me, man, I'm growing like crazy. Now, I believe that people, when they say that, are sincere. But from what I've seen, one of the evidences of growth is that it's really hard to recognize it. In other words, it's just like it would be just like somebody who's saying, man, man, I'm just I'm just so holy right now. (laughs) Word. I thought that holy people, like the essence of holiness is recognizing how unholy you are. Recognizing how far short you, like I don't don't hear, that's not how I hear believers talking in the scriptures. Like to to see the Lord, and we're going to talk about this in a second because this is the cure for pride, but, but to see the Lord for who he is is to see ourselves for who we really are. And so if we become puffed up spiritually, That's an evidence of immaturity, not growth. Spiritual pride. It takes pride in denominations. It takes pride in affiliations, associations, or labels. It forms cliques around certain titles and labels. Spiritual pride. It name drops. Oh, yeah, you know, I, what church you go to? Oh, I go to Pastor So-and-So's church. Oh, what? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bishop, um, what's the name? Like, it takes pride in the person rather than the fact that we're all just a community of believers and disciples in the Lord Jesus Christ. Takes, takes pride in who, who I'm affiliated with, who I'm associated with. It brings up like, you're not even, the conversation is way over here, and you just somehow managed to bring somebody else here, because I was hanging out with, um, what's the name? And you were talking about the football game or something. Like, like it had nothing to do with what, but you bring it up because it makes you look a certain way to be associated with this person. Spiritual pride. Peep another quote from C.S. Lewis regarding spiritual pride. He says, whenever we find that our religious life is making us feel that we are good, above all, that we are better than someone else, I think we may be sure that we are being acted on, not by God, but by the devil. The real test of being in the presence of God is that you either forget about yourself altogether or you see yourself as a small, dirty object. It is better to forget about yourself altogether. (laughs) Spiritual pride. Now, I want to go back to uh, what I alluded to earlier on in the message and just talk about how pride manifests itself in different ways and different kinds of sin. I said if you're caught up in secret sin this morning and nobody knows about it, it's because of pride. This is because you're concerned with how you might be viewed if your secret sin was known, right? And so in your pride, what you do is you conceal it, you hide it, you keep it to yourself. I said if you can't get along with your spouse, 
this morning, it's because of pride. Now, this could have any number of ways that it manifests itself. One way that's common is that you're just always standing up for what you want. <laughs> Things just always have to be your way. <laughs> you, you're, you're unyielding. You, that is, you, you refuse to, to bend in any kind of way. It always just has to be the way that you want it. And that's pride because what, like, what's happening behind that is that what you're saying, you, you may not recognize this consciously, but in being unyielding, what you're saying is that there's no way it could possibly be any better than the way that I thought of it. And who is anybody to think that they have a way of doing things that's better than me, than my way? If you're bitter towards someone this morning, it's because of pride. If you're in an unresolved conflict, at the root of it is pride. Think about it. If you've wronged somebody and you know that you're wrong, but yet you refuse to admit it, it's your pride. It's because of how you're going to look by humbling yourself and coming to this person and say, you know what? I need to ask you your forgiveness. I've sinned against you. Like, we don't even talk like that anymore. Like, in our pride, we've taken, I need to ask you for your forgiveness, and we've made it, oh, my bad. <laughs> my bus. Oh, I'm sorry. See, what, what, my bad, what, like, what, what that does is that gets you off the hook. Because <laughs> basically, you can say, my bad, okay, I apologize, I don't even need to hear from you, let me just go on about my way, hey, I repented, my bad. But to truly repent and to humble yourself and say, brother, sister, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Big difference. See what that does? You, you now have to wait. And if they're a Christian, they're supposed to forgive you. But you now have to wait and, and make yourself vulnerable and put yourself in the position of waiting for that person to either declare forgiveness or not. You see how pride works in? It, ch it changes language. If you've been wrong, if somebody has wronged you and you're bitter against that person, it's pride. If you're bitter, if it gets to the point of bitterness, it's pride. Why? Because you've forgotten that whatever that person has done to you is nothing compared to what you have done to God in your sin. You've set yourself and your own pain and your own hurt up as, as ruler and as sovereign. You've placed your own pain and hurt above God's call and command for us to forgive. It's pride. If you have low self-esteem, I said, and you act out in sinful ways, the real issue is your pride. Again, it's, it's, it's taking that real pain and real hurt that may have been inflicted upon you and then saying, you know what, because I've been treated this way, I'm just going to do whatever I want to do. Like, it, it, it's giving you a sense of entitlement. <laughs> like, you know what, I'm, look, this person did this to me, so yeah, I'm, I'm going to 
sleep around with all these people. I was treated like this. So, yeah, I'm going to drink. I'm going to whatever, whatever the case may be. However, it is your own way of acting out. In, in response to your pain and your hurt. Again, it's setting up your pain as ruler on the throne. I said, if you have a problem with anger this morning, a short temper, the real problem is pride. You know what, you know what anger, you know what a short temper is saying? A short temper is saying, who do you think you are to talk to me like that? Do you know who I am? How are you, you, especially you, how are you going to talk down to me? Are you kidding me? You going to disrespect me? If you're angry at God this morning, it's the height. Or or I should say the depth of pride. Because what you're saying is, God, who are you? Who are you to order my life in in this kind of way? God, who do you think you are to to have my life looking the way it's looking right now? It's never right to be angry at God. It's it's always sin. Like that. We should never, ever be angry at God. If, if we find ourselves in that position, we need to repent. And we need to humble ourselves. Anger. I said if you're not a Christian this morning, the root of it is because of pride. You refuse to repent. You refuse to turn away from your sin and you refuse to trust Jesus because what your pride is saying is forget Jesus. I don't need a savior. I'm going to save myself. If somebody needs to be saved, I'm going to do the saving. I'm not going to humble myself and admit that I'm jacked up. I'm not going to admit that. No. If you're not a Christian, it's because of your pride. Now, it gets deeper here because, hmm, okay. Uh, It gets deeper because, like I said, that pride is so slick that it camouflages itself. And it, like, (laughs) it kind of reminds me of one of those, like, uh, one of those snakes that blends in with the color of the forest. You know what I mean? Like, you ever see those snakes? Like, they're, they're so green that you can't even detect them from the leaves until you see some eyes pop open, you know what I mean? Like, like that's what pride does. Like, it, it masks itself and it camouflages itself and it manifests itself in different kinds of ways. Just want to it's many examples. Let me just give you a couple examples of how this happens. One way that pride uh, uh, masks itself, one thing that it masks itself as is humility, <laughs> the opposite virtue. And it looks something like this, like, you say that there's something about yourself that you don't like, but really you do like it. Like deep down inside, like you stare at the mirror at it a lot, right? But, but you go to somebody and you say, you know, <sighs> and somebody compliments you on it and you're like, ah, I know, but it just, 
It just gives me so much trouble. That's false humility. It's pride masquerading as humility because what you really want is you really want is that person to say, oh, no, no, no. That's gorgeous. That's beautiful. And while you're saying, oh, no, 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 inside you're like, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. Another way that pride masquerades, it masquerades as, as pain or hurt. That is, acting out in certain ways in order to gain sympathy. Some people will cry at the drop of a hat. <laughs> because all their lives they've been crying at the drop of a hat and they've seen how people have responded. What's wrong? Oh, come, come here, come here, what's and so it's really that desire to be embraced, that desire to be, uh, that attention, yeah. But it's pride. Another way that it masquerades, this, this is a common one, this is one I've been guilty of a lot, It's when you know that you need help, but you refuse to ask for it. And the reason why you refuse to ask for it is because of your pride, because you don't want people to see you in a position of vulnerability, but... But anyway, you know you need help, but yet you don't ask for it. But then when it comes out that you actually need the help and somebody comes to you and they say, well, why didn't you just ask? I would have gave it to you. You say, oh, I didn't want to bother you. I, 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 didn't, I, just, I just didn't want to be a burden to you. You see that? That's pride. <laughs> but it's masquerading as concern because that sounds like it sounds like you're really concerned about the person not being burdened. But that's not your main concern. Your main concern is how it looks for you to be asking somebody for help. Behind all lying is pride somewhere. Somebody asked, how, what you been reading in the Word this week? It caught you off guard because you ain't been in the Word all week. <laughs> but in your pride, you pull out something that you read like three months ago. And then you try to unpack it, but it's all sketchy in your mind. You don't even remember it. Quote in the wrong verses. It's your pride. You want people to think that you're holy and a student of the word. And that if someone says what you've been reading, you should be able to pull something off from the devotion that you had this morning. But you didn't have it. But you don't want them to know that you didn't have it. Because it's pride. As I begin to close, I want to talk about the, the cure for pride. The cure for pride. The cure for pride is seeing God. It's seeing God. There's no room for pride in any creature in a universe where God exists. There's really no room for pride on a human level, <laughs> because even on a human level, there's always someone bigger, someone faster, someone better, someone cuter than you. <laughs> but Let's assume for a second that you were, even though you're not, nobody in here is the greatest anything in the world right now. But let's just assume that, because if you were, you wouldn't be here probably. But, but let's assume that you are. Let's assume that you are the greatest thing since air conditioning in Texas. Right? Even if that's true, you live in a universe with a God who's infinitely greater than you in every way. 
no matter how much higher you are or exalted you are above anybody else, most of us aren't, but no matter how much you are, you're still infinitely below God. The cure to pride is seeing that, is recognizing that. Listen to this quote again. C.S. Lewis, in God, you come up against something which is in every respect immeasurably superior to yourself. Unless you know God as that and therefore know yourself as nothing in comparison, you do not know God at all. As long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. You want a cure for pride this morning? Look up. (laughs) Look up. Look up at the God who is infinitely higher than the heavens and the earth. Job chapter 25, verses 2 to 6, gives us this idea. Job 25, verses 2 to 6. I'm going to have that. Uh, Job 25, 2 to 6, it says this. Dominion and fear are with God. He makes peace in his high heaven. Is there any number to his armies? Upon whom does his light not rise? How then can man be in the right before God? How can he who is born of woman be pure? Behold, even the moon is not bright, and the stars are not pure in his eyes. How much less man who is a maggot, and the son of man who is a worm? You're not going to find that in the self-esteem section of the bookstore. As I thought about this, I tried to imagine, oh, man, I don't like bugs, generally speaking. But maggots? Anybody like maggots? Maggots are disgusting. And worms, too. Maggots are lower than worms, but I don't like either one of them, right? Imagine coming home from a vacation. And you come home, and you notice that your refrigerator is not making the noise that it usually makes when it's on. And you realize that the electric is not on. And so you go, and you open the refrigerator, and you see the moldy steak that you left in there crawling with maggots. <laughs> After you close the door, I don't know what you do. I, I, I'll probably just close it. I wouldn't even want to see it. <laughs> But imagine after you close the door, imagine you're able to hear a sound coming from the refrigerator. And this is hypothetical. Imagine that you lean in close to the refrigerator to hear what the sound is. And to your surprise, the maggots are holding an award ceremony. You hear applause, you hear music, you hear acceptance speeches, 
The maggots are having an award ceremony. They're congratulating themselves. How much more angry would that make you? I don't know. <laughs> you got the nerve to be in my refrigerator, but not. But then you got the nerve. It, it, <laughs> it reminds me of mice that have been in my apartment that just like to chill. They just, they just look back at you like, like, what you doing here? How dare you? Brothers and sisters, the distance between us and maggots is much closer. It's much closer than the distance between us and God. Who do we think we are? Who do we think we are to exalt ourselves? Haven't we seen God? Everybody in the scriptures who saw God saw themselves for who they really were. That's what happened to Job. Job was the most righteous man in his land of his day. But when he had a true sight of God, he repented in dust and ashes. There wasn't anybody more righteous than Isaiah in his day. But what did he say when he really saw God? He said, woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. It's what happened with Nebuchadnezzar. <laughs> ah, I don't have time to go into Nebuchadnezzar. But Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful man of his day. And he had the nerve to look out on his kingdom and say, my hands made this. And you know the story. God made him like an animal. He made him eat grass for seven years and live like a beast. You know why? Because Nebuchadnezzar was already insane. <laughs> he was already irrational. <laughs> and thinking that his hands had made that kingdom, he was being irrational. And so what God did was, as an act of judgment, he made him live out the irrationality that was already going on in his mind. When we exalt ourselves to the status of God, we're acting like animals. It's only a matter of time before God shows us how close we are to the beasts. Now, I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Um, and this really uh, gives us uh, a contrast between uh, this uh, pride and uh, which is sinful in our, what our response should be in light of God. Luke chapter 18, and I'm going to read uh, verses 9 to 14. It says, uh, speaking of Jesus, he told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven 
but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Notice that the Pharisee, when he prayed, it was all self-centered. It was all about, look how many times he says, I. God, I thank you that I'm not like this. I fast. I give tithes of all that I get. That's that big I in the middle of pride, right? He didn't have a, he was, he was only looking at things horizontally. He even looked over at the guy that didn't live up to what he, his standard of righteousness, right? But then the, the tax collector, see, he knew God. He knew something about God. He knew that the distance between him and God was so great that he wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven. That's humility. That's a God-given humility. And the second thing that he knew was that he needed grace. He needed mercy. He wasn't righteous. He needed another righteousness. That's what we need to see this morning. And so the overall point is that the glory of the gospel is ultimately the cure for our pride. In other words, what we have to see is that the Lord Jesus Christ, he traveled a distance infinitely greater than it would have been for us to travel to get down to the level of a maggot. And he became a human being. And he dies on the cross for all of our sin, for all of our pride, for all of our exalting ourselves in the presence of God, the Lord Jesus dies on the cross for that. He dies on the cross for our failure to stand in awe before the reality of God. And then what happens is by his grace, he sends his spirit and he opens our eyes to see things as they really are. So that for the first time, we see God as he is, which humbles us. Because it makes us see our sinfulness, and then we cry out to God for forgiveness, and that's how we come into the kingdom, right? Now, by the Spirit, we are empowered by his grace to live a lifelong process of repenting of our pride. Because <laughs> no matter how much pride is scooped out, trust me, there's more to go. <laughs> it's so sneaky that it will find any, anywhere it can get a foothold, it will try. But my prayer is that, um, one, that 2 Corinthians 3.18 would be true of us, that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That as we look at Christ, as we see God, that we will be humbled, that he would be lifted up. Um, it's time to pray.